So would you give it up, please, for Mary Beth King? Man, I just, that's a powerful name. <laughs> thank you. All right. Um, well, thank you, Pastor Joey, uh, for letting me be here tonight. This is probably decent. I'm just going to swap it out. Okay. Um, and I don't know who, the, who your other missionaries have been, if they've all been district missionaries, people from Illinois or, or what have you, but you can tell by the foreign language that I'm speaking right now uh, that I'm not from here. Um, I, am, I am from the great state of Tennessee. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, which we did win a good football game this weekend. I don't know if you people saw that, but... Uh, but yes, he said he had people that spoke Spanish and all kinds of other languages, but not Southern to translate tonight. So you'll just, you'll just be stuck with me. Um, and yeah, he just kind of told how, how I got connected with your church. Every year when we come up here uh, to Chicago, or I guess down here from, where do I live? North Dakota? Um, I bring a group of 18 to 25-year-olds, many of which have never been to a large city many of which have never seen someone with skin darker than them. I'm not jesting here. They're from Montana. They're from North Dakota. They're from South Dakota. Uh, sometimes I think they come from under a rock. But, uh, but we come up here, and every time we've been able to partner with your church, whether it's been your Saturday morning outreach, your ministry under the bridge, um, or going downstairs. Is it downstairs? It's another building. Okay, whatever. And uh, I have no sense of direction. So... It's a good thing I travel the world and take people with me. So, but we, we've been doing that. But also every single time that we come, Pastor Joey takes time to speak into the life of my staff and of my students. And every single time I learn something new and I'm inspired to go harder after Jesus as a leader and as a child of God. And so thank you, Pastor Joey, for that, for investing in, the, for, in me and in my students, but also for letting me letting me be here today, and I'm going to explain more about the program and what I do in, in missions here in just a second. But I want us to pray a prayer of faith this evening. I want you to ask God to give you an idea tonight, to give you a new way to pursue him, a new way to further his kingdom, just a thought that is inspired by God that is an idea for you just for you personally. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, all right. So if you're willing to, willing to pray that prayer with me, then just bow your heads. Um, dear Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for the truth of the songs that we just sang, that we are safe with you, and that if we will stay strong in you, we will make it through. Not because of any of our own strength, praise God, but because of your strength. And tonight, we know as well that you are a God that speaks personally, and intimately to each and every one of us. And so I pray tonight that you will give each and every person that's willing in this room a God idea, a new way to know you, to serve you, and that they will be obedient, that we'll all be obedient to whatever it is that you call us to do. In your name I pray, amen. All right. Um, I got a kind of a funny message title tonight for you. Um, you can put the ID the that first okay so the title of the message is actually no id but if you're from the south you could hear that as no id ask my grandpa something he said no id he don't know or just no idea 
So there's a reason that this is the lovely ID that is up here. Um, he could be any one of my students, guys. Um, we're going we're gonna to dedicate this message to a young man very similar to him who did pack your bags a couple of years ago. And so pack your bags essentially is a college program, but you get to take your college classes, but at the same time, we travel all over. It's the only way I get people to come to North Dakota. I say we leave North Dakota. Uh, we go and we minister to Native American reservations. We come here to Chicago. We go to Milwaukee to City on a Hill. Um, we go we go ropes courses and all kinds of things like that. And then second semester, we're overseas serving throughout usually Southern Asia. This year for six weeks, they'll be in the Philippines. Um, and then the other team will be in Nepal for six weeks. And then we'll go to Thailand for a couple of weeks and serve because that's where I used to live and I need some good cheap Thai food, real Thai food. I don't know what people here are trying to be serving. I love it when I see stuff like, orange chicken on the Thai menu. I've never had orange chicken in Thailand. That's the American side of the menu. I just want y'all to know that. Uh, I'm like, I like orange chicken, but it's not Thai. So um, I got a Thai lemonade in Missoula a few weeks ago when I was speaking in Missoula, Montana. And I was like, what's a Thai lemonade? Who knows? There it would be like lime, limeade with like some mint. Pretty decent, you know. This was lemonade with coconut milk in it. I said, no Thai person did this. So uh, anyway, but it's okay, it's okay. Um, so for this program, we travel, right? What do you need to travel? You need an ID? Specifically international travel, what kind of ID do you need? All right, so it seems like a no-brainer. That if you're going to sign up for this intensive travel, discipleship, see the world, share people, share Jesus, that you're going to have an ID, and that you're getting a passport. So John, bless him, he comes in. I get a lot of students with no driver's license too. That's a whole nother story. I'm like, I got a driver's license the day I was old enough to get one. I don't know. But so he comes in. He doesn't have an ID. He says, I've applied for my passport. It's on its way. It's on its way. Well, passport never came. But lucky for him, it was COVID year. We couldn't travel internationally and we had to go to Hawaii. That part's lucky for me. So we had to go to Hawaii and minister in Hawaii. Brother did not even have a ID ID. So I was like, John, you got to go get one. He said, I was like, why is that passport not here? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, it could be held up. You know, I'm believing all this stuff. And uh, so he gets an ID, but it wasn't in time. So it was a temporary ID. So it's only going to last, I don't know if it was like three months or something, but we were, we were going to be back in time. And so uh, we get to Hawaii, we minister in Hawaii, and God used us mightily there. We got to minister with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We got to minister with the military. We got to minister um, in a huge homeless population area and with a couple of smaller churches and an awesome Filipino church there. And it was awesome. We're about to leave Hawaii I get a phone call from John O, and he says, somebody stole my wallet. I said, brother, you have a Velcro Spider-Man wallet. You lost your wallet. If I'm stealing somebody's wallet, it ain't his. So we... So I, so I did the smart thing, and I called the girls on the team and told them to go over to the boys' dorm area and look for the, look for the wallet, because we all know that that's how things get found. And so um, we, 
no, can't find it. He's, he still tells me to this day, somebody stole this wallet. And I'm like, John, nobody stole your wallet. And so, but, so he doesn't have one. So I'm like, okay, every, you, leaders, you take everybody else through. I'll go through with John. If we have to stay in Hawaii, we have to stay in Hawaii. Because I'm thinking TSA is going to be like, no way. We have no proof that this man exists. Nothing. And so we get through there, and I'm like thinking it's going to be a big process. So we went way early. And they were like, see your son? I said, absolutely not. No, I am not claiming that. And they were like, really? Really? You sure he's not your son? Like, wink, wink. And I was like, he's not my son. TSA's trying to get me to say he's my son, so I can just take him through, I guess. And I was like, no. They were like, well, who are you? I was like, I'm his teacher. And uh, I kid you not, they just were like, okay. Put us on the airplane. So maybe you don't need an ID, but... I feel like someone should call them. Um, they just really wanted us out of Hawaii, I guess. But uh, so, but literally, no idea. He was in a service that I spoke uh, in North Dakota a couple of weeks ago, and he 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 knew that I was doing this to him. And so, he brings up his passport he got about two months ago, <laughs> two and a half years after he did the program. So, welcome to my world. Uh, how did I get here? Working with these kind of people. Um, well, I had lots of ideas of what I wanted to do with my life. I don't know if y'all are that way. I always have lots of good ideas. Tell the Lord about them. He just laughs. But uh, when we used to have, when God called me into the ministry, I said, okay, God, I'll do anything but be a missionary. Because I went, to, I went to this little church, and we had missionaries come in all the time, and I don't, I don't want to diss on the missionary you had Sunday. I have no idea what they did, but they would come in, and they would be wearing, like, some weird outfit, and they would get up, and they would be like, Sawadika, which is, hey, what's up in, hi, in Thai, but I speak English, and they're like, oh, in my country, it's very honorable to eat the monkey brain, and I'm like, hmm, I like Chick-fil-A, uh, and evidently they were always poor because they were always asking for money. And I thought, I don't want nothing to do with that. But my creator knew differently. And he asked me to go on a short-term trip. And in that short-term trip, I met a little girl. And at the end of that week, in, in her little five-year-old Spanish in Quito, Ecuador, she looks up at me and she's crying. And I'm like, oh, no, did I hurt her? You know, am I sitting on her or what, whatever's happening here? And she says to me, and the only Spanish I could have understood, which five-year-old said, I want Jesus in my heart like you. And then I was like, I can't leave. I have to stay. And all I wanted to do from that moment forward was to be a missionary. Because my creator knew what he created me to do. I thought there were things that I liked to do. I thought that there were things I was, that I was good at, that I was made to do. But in that moment, I, I heard from the Lord. And I'm really... Not that old, but that was a little bit of a different time because there were plenty of people who did want to weigh in on what I was going to do with my life um, at 18, 19 years old, like, you know, my mom, my grandma, or even friends. But the only way they could get a hold of me was face to face or through a landline. That sometimes my parents said, no, she cannot talk on the phone. So not so much. But for these people that I work with now, that are 18, 19, 20, 25. There's 24-7 access to their brain feed. 
Their friends can text them all day. It, they get them on Instagram, on Facebook, on Snapchat. There's, there's literal streaming channels and other channels, and then there's a tick, ticker at the bottom telling them what they should look like as a young adult, what they should be doing, how they should dress, even who they should identify as. That was not the case for me. It was a little bit easier to hear from God when I was 19 than it is for my students. They're even taught to question whether or not to put, they're like, what do you want to put on here, male or female? No one would have ever asked me that when I went to get my driver's license. The whole crazy world is coming at them constantly, and God's voice is just one of many. And so it's not just them. God's voice is just one of many for us too. We have the same social media platforms. We've got the same streaming channels. We've got all of these things that can distract us and keep us deafened to the voice of God. So tonight, I want you to think about those young adults in your life. And I want you to think about the world that they live in. And we're going to talk about Moses and to see how it plays and see how it all plays out. And if you're thinking about that teenager or 20 something and there'll be another altar call for you to repent for the things that you thought. But, uh, but also, I want you to find yourself in this story. We're going to be in Exodus um, chapter 2 to begin with, where Moses is born. It says, um, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw it, he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. So this was in the honeymoon phase. You get that baby? Oh, it's a fine child. They can do no wrong. Beautiful. And then something happens to, to Moses. In verse 11, he becomes a teenager. And one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, his problem wasn't that he became a teenager. That's just normal human development. I teach that as a class, um, human development, and everybody goes through this. Um, so his failure was not that he had just developed into a teenager, but we do get to a place where Moses mess, messes up. It says, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When, the, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrew, Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So here's where Moses is, gets messed up. And uh, he, he killed a guy out of some, probably some decent justified anger but he runs away. Pharaoh hears of it and he seeks to kill him. Most parents want to kill their kids at some point, so that sounds valid. But you get, you're in there and um, you, you, re, you keep reading on. And it says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water with their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks. When they came home to their father, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he? I said, Good man, bring him home. 
Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And the man gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and they called his name Gershom. And he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. So here you got Moses, and he's in hiding. And he does this good thing, and the father says, bring him home. And uh, you find Moses gets married there, and he's just, he's just doing things for this man. It says, Moses was content to dwell with the man. And so I call this Moses' basement, his comfort zone, because sometimes we get stuck here. Sometimes we, we run into trouble, and we, we maybe we mess up, and we, we say, it's too much. I got, I gotta, I'm going to stay right here. This is as far as I'm going to get. Well, but God always has more for us. Always. In verse 23 um, of chapter 4, skipping a little bit here because we're going to come back to it. But in verse 23, it says, um, it's uh, talking about the cry of the current generation. And it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry from rescue, for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So here's this cry of Moses' people, and he's out here, stuck in the basement, he's not hearing it. And I don't know who it is that is crying out for, that the Lord wants us to, to hear, but maybe we're deafened because we're, we're in a comfort zone of a basement or we feel unworthy or we're scared, but it could be, it could be the cry of your community. It could be the cry of a community across the world that doesn't have access could be the cry of the refugee. It could be the cry of the people on the reservations, of those in poverty, of those under the bridge, of the elderly, of the kids in foster care. I don't know who it is, but sometimes I think we miss their cry because we're basement dwelling or because we're distracted by all the things I talked about earlier. Might just be the cry of the babies in the nursery, but he's still calling you to them. Might be that difficult coworker that microwaves fish in the break room, but the Lord is still calling you to them. But I can assure you, he is calling. Now, let me, let me explain why, because I look at the statistics. I am not a math person, but this is math I can do. I look at the statistics of the number of churches and professing Christians just right here in our nation. And then I look and I see that there are still 6,000 unreached people groups I go walking through Southern Asia and I meet, I meet so many beautiful, wonderful people bowing down to idols in futility because they know that there's more and they want more, but they've never had access to the gospel. And I think, I know the Lord has not forgotten them. It says the Lord knew. He must have a plan for them to know him. And I wonder if he's just not I, I had a professor at CBC that used to say, God, God, God cares about numbers. He wrote a whole book about them. I don't think God has a problem doing math. 
And so I look at it, and I'm like, okay, 6,000 unreached people groups. Surely we have 6,000 Christians, and the people groups are bigger than that. So maybe we got 60,000 Christians, or maybe we have, like, surely he is calling enough people to go to these places or to support the people in those places for everyone to have heard. So is he calling and we simply are not hearing? Because I don't believe that in a, in, in a place like this that comes on a Wednesday night to pray that, it's, that we're hearing and being disobedient, but I know that he's calling. So are, are we somehow missing it? Moses was too distracted by his life circumstances to hear the cry of those people. But we serve a really big and a really awesome and a really redemptive God. And he knows us intimately and he knew how to get Moses' attention. And in chapter three, it's a, it's a passage we all know. It's the burning bush. Moses is out there in his basement dwelling place. He's keeping the flock of his father-in-law. And an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire outside of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning and it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is this bush not burned? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses' first response was, here I am. Here I am. And I want you to keep that in mind because he changes it. He has this encounter with God, this burning bush encounter with God, and he learns that not only does God know exactly where he is, but he knows his name as well. He knows your name. I believe that's the next slide. Or, well, actually, the next slide is my QR code, because I, um, as a good missionary, I have no ID with me tonight. I have no prayer cards or anything, but that will get you there. So, uh, but we can talk at the table too. But... He knows your name. In Revelations 2, 12 through 17, we go through a book about David called Soul Print that Mark Batterson wrote. And in that book, there's this awesome thing at the very end about this passage in Revelation that I didn't know anything about. And it was about a white stone with a new name. It talks about when we get to heaven, there will be a stone that the Lord gives to us of a name that is just between us and him. And I'm like, man, that's cool. And we'll know what it is when he says it. Because it's, it's just, it's between us and him. And I'm like, does mine say the favorite or, I mean, what's it say? I'm excited to get that. I'm excited to hear his name for me. And so he knows his name. He says, Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. And man, we're good at singing those songs. Here, my Lord, send me to the nations. And he says, okay, go to Bangladesh and say, oh, I, I am not here. Um, and he starts to argue because he's got identity issues He's got guilt issues and he's literally living in shame and hiding because remember his past, he committed murder. And I think how many of the Lord's children are basement dwellers because they're believing the lie of the enemy that their past is too much to be redeemed. That they cannot do something more or answer the cry of whoever because of, of, their, of their sin. We would all be in that boat without the blood that we sang about. And he starts to say stuff in chapter four, verses 10 through 13. And he, he starts to, man, I've heard all of it before because I work with these people. He says, oh Lord, not me, I'm not eloquent. Either in the past or today, you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow, slow in speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who made your mouth? Who makes mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not me, not the Lord? 
Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. That's a little scary. But when we hear about the unreached and we have the answer for them, are we not sometimes saying that as well? Send somebody else. I know they're there. I can see them. I could probably even get to them. Oh, Lord, I'm praying for whoever you send. And when we were in Hawaii, the pastor that we worked with, she lives in a little bitty, little bitty house and doesn't have a lot of money. And uh, about 19 people live in this two-bedroom house with her. And she saw all the time people are coming from the mainland to minister in the church and to be out there and say, they say stuff like, man, I'm praying for you. And she says, every last one of those people that says, hey, I'm praying for you has an empty guest room at their house. And she said, there are some things you don't need to pray about. I was like, oh, because I have a guest room. Nobody lives in it. I was like, oh, it hit hard because she's right. Oh, I'm praying for you, sister. Add 29 people to your house. I'm going home. My guest room doesn't even need dusting. So I want you to know, he said, he's telling him, he's like, Moses, I'm calling you. The, not only does the Lord know our name, but he knows every single day. Psalm 139, 16 says they were all written before we ever even got here. He knows every single day. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. He's seen every moment, yet he's still calling you and he still loves you. And as somebody who, who, has, who has had their fair share of screw-ups, this was something I struggled with. Um, it, but I learned something from a Devo that I was doing just this year, not from Bible college, not from anything else. But in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you got David and Bathsheba. And you know the story. David wants to, to build a temple for the Lord. And the Lord says, no, your, your hands, that you fought too many battles, and I'm going to build you a house is what he tells David. And, but then he says to David, um, you're going to have a son I'm going to bless that son and he's going to be here for a time of peace. And he is going to build my temple. Now, what do you know about David? What's something cool David did or something big about David's life? Killed a giant, Goliath. That's a good one. That's a good one. What else do we know about David? Oh, he slept with Bathsheba. There's always some man in the crowd that wants to bring out this man's sin. Uh, so somebody judgmental. No, uh, but he slept with Bathsheba. One, one day, it was the first thing somebody said, and I was like, I do not want to attend this church. Uh, but we know he's a man after God's own heart. Y'all were saying all kinds of things. Goliath, he was king. He was all these things. But we also know David messed up. He slept with Bathsheba then comes up with this crazy diabolical plan. And do you know Uriah was like one of his dudes? Yeah. Oh, that's bad. And he's like, oh, I'm having this man killed. And he does. And, but as I'm reading that other passage, it was brought out in the Bible study that I was doing of when that God spoke to him about that. Because we know that Solomon built the temple. That that's who the Lord was telling him about. <laughs> Solomon wasn't born yet. Who's Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. So he's telling David, buddy, I love you. 
and you're going to still do great things, and I'm going to build you a house, and you're going to have a son. Now, he leaves out some details. You're going to screw up. You're going to have an affair. But you're going to have a son, and that son is going to build this temple, and I have stood in that temple in Jerusalem with my students, and I know the enormity of it. I know the tension that still exists right there, and I'm like, man, that's crazy. The Lord knew every day before, and he knew every day that was coming. He said, oh, I got good stuff. Every single day, we spend a lot of time with our students overcoming the lies of the enemy, the identities that have been placed on them by the world or by the enemy. But then we'll go to a Native American reservation or, or to the city streets and minister under the bridge or second semester ministering in Southern Asia. And in the beginning, when they get there, most of them struggle to, when I say, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Tell me something, tell me something interesting about you. I literally had a student two years ago, when it got to be his turn, when they got there in August, he said, I'll text you. <laughs> he was that timid, that backwards. He said, I'll text you. I was like, is he for real? Is this a joke? Is this funny? He was not joking. Um, and I want you to know that that same young man preached to the Mosquito Indian people in Puerto Limpira, Honduras, just six months later because of what God had done in his life through serving, through time in God's word. He didn't, he didn't ask to text the people. He spoke God's word because when he knows our name, he knows every single day and whatever he's asking you to do, he's gonna equip you to do it. So he will equip you Chapter four, verses one through 10, Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me. They won't listen to my voice. The Lord, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? When I was reading this at preparation for this message, I was like, and he, Moses says, I have a staff. And I thought, okay, I see this differently now after working with, with young adults. Because sometimes I'm like, man, what can you already do? What do you bring to the table? Nothing. What, what do you already have? What's in your hand? And I can just see Moses being like, this stick. What's you going to do with that? That's all I got. And I'm like, okay. And the Lord says, all right, I'll work with the stick. He says, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent and Moses ran from it. And the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. They're going to believe you, the Lord says. Look, I'm showing you cool stuff here. I'm showing you how big I am and how big you're not. And that I can use even the stick that you're being a smart aleck about. And he says, uh, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put it back in. And he did. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He says, if they will not believe you, or listen to the first sign or the second sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. When, I, when he says he will equip you, Moses is like, no, but I, but I. And the Lord says, boy, it is not who you are. It is who I am and it is whose you are. 
and we all have those moments. Yesterday, I was having such a bad day. I was telling Pastor Joey, my car's in the shop. I, I, I got a Dear John letter from a church. It just literally is like, they've been supporting me for 10 years. And the, the subject line in the email said, ceasing support. I was like, can I pretend I didn't get it? You know, uh, and it, I, I was like, what did I do? I opened it up and basically it said, it's not you, it's us. We've been supporting you 10 years. We're, we want to just allocate. And it's a huge church. And I wanted to be, they said, we, we, we've got different things that we, that we want to support. My, the flesh side of me wanted to, wanted to email back and be like, what about reaching unreached people group who lack, lack access to the gospel and training up the next generation of missionaries don't you want to partner with? But I didn't. I said, thank you for 10 years. Um, actually, I haven't sent the thank you email yet. I don't want to lie. Uh, but uh, so I might, we'll see. Uh, but I, then I had a couple students just do some really dumb stuff and just break my heart in a thousand pieces. And, and then I realized, oh, my car's not going to be ready for me to go drive two and a half hours to my flight. Now, I want y'all to know that, that I'm an ordained minister. I'm a Assemblies of God uh, world missionary. I'm a a licensed therapist. I, pref- I teach a pr- psych classes at a college. On paper, I'm sharp. Sharp. <laughs> but the merch I need and the vehicle I need are in the shop without a transmission. And I hadn't made any accommodations to get anywhere. I was sitting in the cafeteria at the school and I said, hey guys, I need to ride to Fargo. <laughs> Everybody's like, when? I was like, oh, a couple hour. Live like an hour, you know, and everybody's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Okay." So, but I was having such a day. I looked a hot mess. It's 30 degrees outside. I was wearing flip flops. My hair was in some sort of crazy hat, and I, I had to call somebody to run me to that shop. I had to kind of break into the shop to get the thing out of my car that I needed to bring here for my table back there. March is on the table, and uh, I thought I'm just sitting there, and my friend's like, "You all right?" And I was like, "I." No, I'm a mess. I have no business leading anybody, doing anything. I should just call and say, I'm taking a nap. I, I, we, I did not even have the executive function to have a ride to the airport. That's bad when the airport's that far away. You can't, and there's no Uber in Ellendale, North Dakota. We have two gas stations and a Dollar General. I'm glad that somebody gave the person of Dollar General the vision to go to an empty field and put groceries because or else I wouldn't have any. But uh, so when I say about this healing thing, well, first of all, what's in your hand? I had a team one time, I used to work for Convoy of Hope and we had a, we had a spring, a summer and a fall internship. And the summer was always real big and it was full of, of much younger people. And then we'd have much smaller teams in the spring and fall because it, you know, either they were in college or working or whatever. And I had this team and they were a weird team. They were in their upper 20s, uh, early 30s. And uh, they didn't want to do the normal stuff we would do when we go minister. So we're in the Philippines, and I'm wanting them to do skits and like stuff like that. And when it would come time to do that, they'd go all run and hide. And we were in uh, a home for children of trafficking. We were there for three weeks. And I said, we're here for three weeks. You're going to have to do stuff you don't want to do. Like, and they said, we, we, we're not doing that dumb stuff. I was like, oh, goodness. And I said, okay, well, what do you bring to the table? And this one guy, he, he was leaving the accounting world. He was like, well, I'm a banker. And I said, okay. Then uh, Debbie, who's actually now a pretty good photographer, and that's what she does for a living. She's like, I like to take pictures. Then Nikki's like, well, I've run a bakery for the last 10 years. 
And then uh, one guy, he was there because he didn't get a, a coaching PE job that year. He's like, I'm good at basketball. And this one girl, she goes, I like to tie-dye. And I was like, she, she was sharp. And so, uh, and then, so, and then, so what I did, I said, okay, it's going to be up to y'all. Cause we've got these kids they are little bitty all the way up to high school. And I said, we're going to set up ministry and you're going to do it. And so Debbie said, okay, I will get all the cameras that we can find and all the different things that they can take pictures with and art supplies. And I'll run an art class each day, photography class, art class. Nikki said, well, they don't do a lot of baking cause it's so hot, um, where they are out there, but they did at the place we have have ovens, um, and so Nikki's like, I'm going to teach them to make cookies and cupcakes and things. And um, so they did some stuff that they weren't used to doing, that, that the students weren't used to doing. Um, and Corey's like, well, I could do a basketball clinic. And then Adam, who does the banking and stuff, he's like, well, I can teach like personal accounting to the high school kids that are going to graduate from the children's home so that they know that kind of stuff. And... Uh, He's also like, well, I also have taken self-defense classes and certified to teach that. So who else better to learn some, some empowering self-defense, self-defense skills than kids who have been trafficked? I said, let's do it. And by, we had it all laid out. You know what I had to do for three weeks? Nothing. You know what, you know what I did do? I went to the tie-dye session each time and I said, I said, guys, look at your shirt. God has fearfully, wonderfully made you. You're all unique. You're all different. This is my Bible study. Amen. Uh, so I have these people and they're like, I don't have anything. I'm not a minister. I had a kid that was like, I'm good with spray paint. And that he was the star of the show everywhere we went because he could do that kind of thing where you spray paint and then you scrape stuff off and it makes a cool picture. Um, I, I have a guy on my team right now that he's like, I'm not a pastor. He's, he's a farm boy. He, he's really smart. He has a degree in exercise science. And when we were in Hawaii, we were digging these, these fields for uh, the homeless people to grow vegetables by hand. And I said, what is that piece of machinery over there? It's like, oh, it's like this tractor. And I was like, does it do what I'm doing right now by hand? And they said, yeah, it's broken. I said, Eli. He said, let's go to the hardware store. And we went and we got the tools that were needed and Eli fixed their tractor and I got to put down my shovel. God is good. My leader on the last trip, she'll be, they'll be here in, in November with me and uh, they just had a little baby, but she was pregnant the whole time we were in Puerto Limpira, Honduras, which has no electricity and they have to boat in beans and rice. Um, it's all we had, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She's a trooper. But what, there was towards the end of it, she's like, I don't know what I can do. And she was sitting in the little stick church that we were attending, and this lady comes up, and she had a baby about two months old. And uh, we're trying to talk to her. They speak mosquito, but some of them speak a little Spanish. So I'm helping, and we're, we're talking about it. And Holly says, what's your baby's name? She shakes her head, and I was like, oh, she doesn't understand. So I'm like, nombre, you know, what, what you got? And she's still like, no. And she's being like adamant, like, no. And so I was like, somebody help me. Ask her what her baby's name is. And they said, oh, they don't name their kids until they're one or older because so many of them pass away that they don't want to give them a name. And then Holly, of course, pregnancy hormones and just all that. She's like, <gasps> and the lady's like, why is she crying? And so Holly starts to talk to her and she said, she said, no, 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 you have hope in Jesus. 
He has fearfully and wonderfully made this child, and we are going to believe, and we're going to pray over this kid's life. And he's, he's full of grace. She starts saying all this stuff that I couldn't translate, and so I get the translator. And before we left that day and she had prayed, that lady took the things that Holly said to her, and she said, her name is going to be Hope Grace. And I said, oh, so even, even eight months pregnant in the middle of a jungle, the Lord had something to do. Because he takes that stick or that nothing that we have or the fact that we stutter and he says, it's not you, it's me. I will turn that into something amazing. I've watched, because the healing thing, he, he, Moses is like, I'm messed up, you don't know. And the Lord's like, I do know. I know you're messed up. I know you got some issues and we all, you know, we got things we need to be healed from. And these kids coming in, they've got stuff they need to be healed from. And he says, okay, leprosy, pull it out. No more leprosy. He says, I'm your healing and I will take you to do healing. And I've watched as kids, I had a kid who signed up to go to Nepal because he thought it was in Arkansas and he didn't want to leave the country. I don't know what's wrong with these people. And so, um, so he ends up and then we're, we trek through the Himalayas. You can watch the video on the back table. Like we trek through the Himalayas and we go and we're, we're meeting these different groups of believers or soon to be believers. And uh, they trek through the Himalayas for 10 days with backpacks. And Joe can't even walk outside in Ellendale without needing his inhaler. And Joe is a farm boy and his language is not good. And uh, I guess there was a chapel, I wasn't there, where they said, come down for healing. And uh, Joe comes in, he's, he's, he comes to class that day. He said, I need to throw away all my inhalers because God gave me new lungs in chapel today. I said, well, I know, amen, y'all are so spiritual. I said, I said, don't throw your inhalers away. Those are expensive. <laughs> and what if you're wrong? You know, so he has not used an inhaler in the last two years. He trekked that mountain and yes, he had to be carried down, but it's because he had a parasite and had diarrhea so bad that he was dehydrated. It was not because of asthma. I had a girl who kept getting up and she was sharing her testimony and the stuff that had happened to her, she had been sexually abused, was just flooding back. And I said, well, let's don't share it unless the Lord tells you to share it, all right? Not that he hadn't done good things, but she was having nightmares and she was doing all these things. But when we got to those little girls that had been trafficked and we heard their stories and we saw how they weren't riddled with fear or anxiety or anger, but the Lord had done something miraculous in the life of these children who had been literally trafficked at age four, five, six years old. But they would sing the most beautiful worship songs and you could see redemption on them. They weren't riddled with some of the things that we sit here riddled with today, but their story was far worse. And the Lord healed my student that day because she saw that it was, a, it was possible. It was available. I, I, have a, I have a student who came from a really, really bad situation as well, so much so that, the, that her father's in prison for the situation, so you can just imagine. And we went to the reservation this year, and she's always, you know, I don't get on her too much because, man, she's been through a lot. She came back and she said, my whole life has changed after being at the reservation and working with those kids because they have some sad stories. She said, I'm not the only one out there that this happened to, but Jesus rescued me. He got me out of that home 
And now I know he's real because he stuck me in a, in a foster home where it's actually my brother and sister-in-law's home, but where they made me go to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and they made her serve and they made her do all of these things. And she has complained and complained and complained. And, but then she decides to do pack your bags. And all of a sudden she's like, that was Jesus. Everything I hated. When your teenager says, I don't want to go to church, put them in the car anyway. We don't care. He will equip you, your healing. And the last one, he says, he has power. He says, do the thing with the water. Because if they don't believe it from you, just show them that I'm big enough and I can do crazy things. And I, we were in Puerto Limpero, Honduras, and I said, I need three people. The pastor wants three people to give testimonies. And I had zero takers. And by this time, I'm just irritated. And I'm like, you will, tell, you will say something good that God's done in your life. I only got two, and one of them said, I'll just give two testimonies. I was like, that's not really what he wants. But they were mad. They are pouting. They are like, I don't want to give a testimony. And so they give their testimonies, and then all of a sudden, the pastor says, blah, 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 mosquito, and then blah, 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 in Spanish, and then everybody gets up and leaves. I said, what did y'all say? See, y'all's bad attitudes caused church to end. And I said, where are we going? And they said, we jumped in that, we rode in the back of a truck as our vehicle the whole time. They said, well, we got to go to the lagoon and baptize all these people that just got saved because the pastor just gave an altar call at, at the end of their testimonies and 12 people got saved in a church of like 30. So he has a plan and he has the power and that's the last slide. We don't have to fear because he has a plan. He said, uh, please send someone else. And then verse 14, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I bet it was. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall, and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So even when we still say, uh-uh, I can't do it, I can't do it. He says, you know what then? I'm gonna put community around you to help you. You can do it because I can do it, but I see you, I hear you, and I'm still gonna use you. And so he says, here's your friend, here's your brother, let's go, because he has a plan. If you've got a loved one in your life that is not following Jesus, he has a plan for them. He's got a plan for those people under the bridge. He's got a plan for those millions of people bowing down to idols in Southern Asia that know there has to be more. He has a plan. But his plan is to use us, to use our redemption story, our obedience to his word, our obedience to his commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, to use our generosity to help the poor and to send out workers. He has a plan for my life and he has a plan for your life. And that plan is to make sure that he is known. So how will we respond to that? We prayed a prayer at the beginning of this service and um, it was a prayer of faith. And we said, God, give us ideas. And I had preempted that prayer with, Lord, give them ideas to reach the lost. Give them, show them faces of people in their lives or maybe that they haven't met yet, but that you are gonna place in their path for them to reach. Because whether you are good at tie-dyeing or spray paint or baking or 
or soccer or basketball or whatever the world it is. That's what God created you to do and lets you enjoy doing. And when I set those people loose to do the things that they enjoy doing and were created to do, ministry flowed. You don't have to be up here running your mouth like me. I don't, don't switch out your worship team. They good. Don't let nobody else up there. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but whatever it is, he is calling you. There are people for you, yourself, not Pastor Joey, you yourself to reach, to bring to the Lord. So I'm going to close this out in prayer and just give it, give it back over to Pastor Joey. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much that we sit in here today with access to your word. That we sat in this place tonight and we could sing and be in your presence and lay our burdens down and know that you are a God that is strong enough to take care of them. But there are 6,000 people groups out there, some of them living amongst us right here in this community, that do not know you. That the Bible has not even been translated into their language or that no one has been kind enough to take to make the hard trip out to their village or even out to their their side of town to tell them that you love them and to tell them that there is another way that there is the way and lord i pray that tonight that you have that you have given us divine ideas divine appointments and that not one of us will be disobedient but that many will be added to your kingdom because of the burning bush things that you have shown us tonight. And I just love you and I thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen.